Now please join me in prayer. Lord God, take my words and speak through them this morning. Take our hearts and speak to them. On this Pentecost Sunday, we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We ask you to bring conviction to our hearts through the living word and initiate healing and transformation in our lives, all for the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. A new beginning, a fresh start, a chance to put the past behind you and move away from that past into a new reality. I don't know anyone who, at some point in their lives, didn't desire or yearn for a new beginning at some point, a fresh start, a reboot. Yesterday morning, broadcast to the entire world, was an Anglican service of a new beginning. How many of you, now you have to be honest, how many of you yesterday morning watched at least some part of the royal wedding? Okay, I'm seeing quite a few hands of people that caught that. I woke up yesterday and stumbled out to get my coffee, and I noticed Kim in her jammies, enthralled by the spectacle that BBC was broadcasting. I tried to ignore it, but I was quickly drawn in as I recognized the the familiar Anglican liturgy for marriage. It was our service. This was broadcast for the world to witness, and it was a new beginning. A new beginning for Harry and Meghan, the moment marking the end of their independent lives, separate from each other, and the beginning of their shared life together. A new beginning solemnly begun as the liturgy declares in the presence of God. Christian marriage is a new beginning. It's a fresh start that launches with high hopes. A man and woman entering the rest of their lives, committed to live forever together, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, until death parts them. Even though statistics show many marriages end with divorce, no one begins a marriage planning to divorce. They don't say on their wedding day, well, I'm excited for this next month together before we cut this out. Every marriage begins with hope that their new beginning will last forever. And as I watched the royal wedding, it was a vigorous message proclaimed by the preacher, if you caught it. He was passionate. It was well delivered. But I was sad that he didn't give the young couple much hope in his message. At the end of his message, there was a commentator. There isn't a commentator for most marriages, but there was a commentator on the TV saying, this is next and that's next. And he kind of chuckled and he said, well, that was almost a sermon. The preacher declared the power of love. He proclaimed what he believed to be a message of hope. The power of love, and he contrasted it with the power of fire, which he said was harnessed in the hands of man, and which once contained changed the world. The power of fire in mankind's hands changed the world. And following that metaphor, he said, imagine homes and families where love is the way. Neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Governments and nations where love is the way. 
And he ended by saying, imagine a world harnessing the redemptive fire of love for good. He really didn't say anything personal to the couple at all. And I was sad for them. Because the preacher, while he intended to give a hopeful message, and it was well delivered, it was perhaps the most vigorous sermon ever delivered in that private chapel for the royal family. As I listened, he gave them an impossible task to harness the power of love, sacrificial love in their marriage. Because as you look at the history of the world, how well has that been done? It's never been done. How well is our world doing? Well-meaning people seeking to capture and harness the power of love in their lives. I grieve with the families in Santa Fe. It's not going well for the world. For all families enduring tragedy today, my heart breaks. Regarding marriages surviving where love is the way, in 2016, Time Magazine stated divorce rates were declining, but they also declared typical marriages have about a 50% chance of lasting. Every marriage begins with love is the way, but only 50% last. Marriages don't survive because they harness the power of love. We know that as followers of Jesus. I believe that marriages will only survive and thrive when the man and the woman first mutually submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, bowing their knees to him as Savior. And then, as they turn in faith to the true source of love, they together submit to each other. I wish the preacher had made that point to that couple and to the world, that there is hope, and it's in Jesus Christ alone. New beginnings will only last and endure when they're grounded in the source of love. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord is the only one who never changes He alone is the source of all love, the source of all forgiveness, the source of all redemption, the source of all new beginnings that will last. This morning in our readings, we have in view the granddaddy of all new beginnings, which was the release into the world of God's gift in his Holy Spirit. I invite you in your pew Bibles to turn to page 906 so you can follow along. John chapter 20, page 906 in your pew Bibles. We're going to have three points this morning. Purpose, power, and beginning. I couldn't find a word that meant beginning that began with P. Purpose, power, and beginning are our three points. Here in John chapter 20, verse 19, it's the evening of the day of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. Earlier that morning, the female disciples had discovered the empty tomb. They encountered angels. John records, earlier in John chapter 20, that Mary had encountered a risen Lord Jesus. They ran back to tell the disciples, but the disciples didn't believe him. They didn't know what to believe. Luke says they thought it all an idle tale. It's that evening. The disciples are gathered together and the doors are locked, it records. The doors being locked, verse 19, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. 
They're fearing persecution. And Jesus appears in their midst. And he declares to them, peace. Peace be with you. And then he shows them his healed wounds. I am he. I am risen. Look at my wounds. He authenticates who he is standing before them. And then verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus declares again to them peace, knowing that they need his peace. And then he declares that as he was on mission sent by the Heavenly Father, in the same way, he sends his followers out on mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The beginning of faith starts with purpose. That's our first point. Jesus sends them into the world to proclaim salvation in his name. At the end of Matthew's gospel, he elaborates on that purpose. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Faith begins with purpose. Faith is a new beginning, and it has a purpose. Then verse 22. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now wait a second, some of you are thinking. The release of the Spirit happened at Pentecost. Later than this story, we read that in Acts after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Well, evidence suggests that if you're thinking that, you're correct. Because Jesus breathing on them here, it was climactic, but it certainly wasn't marked by a new beginning. Because Jesus hears them send them on mission. Or they hear Jesus sending them on mission. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And then look down a few verses to verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, And the doors are locked. Some new beginning. They're still behind locked doors. Then look across your page to John chapter 21. How's it begin? Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, they're all gathered together again, I'm going fishing. And they go fishing. Some new beginning. Where's the transformation? What are we to make of this? Well, in John chapters 14 and 16, Jesus told his followers that the Spirit would be released to them after he goes away. In John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And a little earlier in John 14, verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He promises to not leave them as orphans. Now at the end of Luke 24, just before his ascension, Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city 
until you are clothed with power from on high. The Spirit's arrival, Jesus declares, will be after his ascension, and they're to wait for it. But what are we to make of Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit upon him then in John chapter 20? My New Testament teacher, scholar Rod Whitaker, writes this. The breathing of the Spirit there was not simply directed at the individuals present. And he goes on to make the point, Thomas wasn't there when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit. But a few verses later, Thomas declares, you're the Lord. And he could only do that by the Holy Spirit. So Rod says, rather, he talks about not that the particulate from Jesus' breathing put out the Spirit, but rather the Spirit is now unleashed into the world in a new way and begins to bring about new life where he finds faith. The Spirit is released in a new way, but it's not complete yet. The Old Testament prophets predicted that God's Holy Spirit would be one day released into the world. The prophet Joel declared it would be poured out on all flesh. And Jesus told his followers, wait for it. Wait in the city. The disciples obeyed Jesus' command to wait together in the city, to be clothed with power from on high. And that's our second point. We've got purpose as followers of Jesus, now power. Turn one more page now, past where you are in John, to the beginning of Acts. Acts chapter 2. We read here the fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And our second point, clothed with power. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Acts 2 verse 1, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The Spirit is released here with what verse 2 describes as the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Well, thanks to the past two hurricane seasons, I know that sound. It's loud. It's like a freight train. The disciples receive Jesus' promised gift of the Holy Spirit. They're clothed with power from on high. And the world is never the same again. Because from here, the men and women following Jesus are transformed as they're clothed with his power, never again to hide behind locked doors. They spill into the streets. The sound of the mighty rushing wind, we read, was heard by everyone. At this sound, verse 6, the multitude came together. At the sound of the mighty rushing wind, they gathered, what is this? And they find the disciples overflowing with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ in languages that they don't know. They boldly go out into the world, filled and guided by God's Holy Spirit. They fulfill his purpose for them as they're filled with his power. And this brings us to our final point, the point, the great new beginning. Now, I want you to turn a few pages... Forward to Acts chapter 10, 
Three or four pages, you should find it, if your Bibles are open. It's page 919. In this story from Cornelius, who is not Jewish, we read of visions and dreams. Peter had visions and dreams. Cornelius had visions and dreams. And then Peter explains salvation in the name of Jesus. And after he speaks, take a look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. They've heard the message of salvation in Jesus. Apparently, they've responded in faith, and the Holy Spirit descends on them. The Holy Spirit falls upon and fills those who are hearing and believing in the word, the message of salvation in Jesus. And that's the good news for you and me. Everyone with faith in Jesus receives this great new beginning. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are restored into right relationship with God. As we turn away from our sin and turn towards God and repent, we receive salvation in Jesus' name, and we are filled with his spirit. In Christ, cleansed of our sins, we are restored into right relationship with God. We are clothed with power from on high to fulfill his purpose and his mission that he calls each of you and me to, to go into the world. This is truly good news because it shows it's not up to us to get it right. Jesus didn't send the disciples out into the world after his resurrection, unclothed with his power. He said, wait for my power. And when that power was released, Jesus initiated breathing. Then from on high, he sent the Holy Spirit. All who follow Jesus have that spirit now. And it's not up to us to be good enough. It's not up to us to harness the power of love. It's up to us to submit ourselves to the source of love and allow him by his power to lead us. By God's power, you will be a witness for Jesus, for new life in his name in your workplace, in your community, or in your family, or in your marriage. God gives you the power, his power. He supplies all that you need as you turn to him and depend on him and as you follow him. But then why is life so difficult? Why then is there still tragedy? Why are there broken marriages and shattered souls? Why are there shootings? Why are there natural disasters? Why is there still failure in your life if you're filled with his power? This, my friends, is what we frequently refer to as the already and the not yet. In Jesus Christ, we are already restored and we're not yet completed. We are already filled with his spirit and we're not yet perfected.
We are not yet finished being restored as we continue living in sinful bodies in a sin-filled, broken world. You and I, even though we live by faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we will not be perfected this side of heaven. We will see, by God's grace and mercy, His power and His ministry, His healing and His restoration flowing through us. And we will at times stumble and fall. We will continue to sin, and we will continue to endure tragedy. But God is always faithful. He does not leave us as orphans. He didn't leave the disciples as orphans. That's a powerful image. He, the Heavenly Father, is always faithful. His steadfast love is new every morning. And he restores us every time we fail and we confess and repent and return to him. In Christ, there's always redemption. Always a new beginning, no matter what you've done. One significant mark of new beginnings in the Christian faith is the mark of baptism. This morning, we are walking through our liturgy of baptism even though we don't have any scheduled baptisms. Why? Because it reminds us. Each time we walk through our baptismal liturgy, it's an opportunity for those who have already been baptized to renew our baptismal vows. This is an opportunity for a new beginning. Like marriage, baptismal vows are taken in the presence of God. Our baptismal liturgy declares, we thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we are reborn by the Spirit. I loved how Scott, where is Scott? I loved how Scott in a sermon last week referred to baptism as the great exodus from sin back to God. Today we will walk through the service of baptism together embracing the reminder of a great new beginning. And in light of our themes of purpose, power, and new beginning, you may now be in need of renewal in your life. You may now be in need of renewal in your faith. You may now be desperate for a new beginning. As we walk through our baptismal liturgy this morning, don't just read the words. Let the message of redemption and salvation wash over you afresh. Receive the new beginning that the Lord offers you this morning in the midst of our worship. Amen. Amen. I say amen to close the sermon. And now we enter into our service of baptism.